All right, everybody, we're back here with another edition of Minor League News and Brews. My name is Craig Toth from Bucks in the Basement, inside the Bucks Basement. And if anybody is interested in prospects whatsoever, you will notice the man next to me and you will recognize him. It is Jonathan Mayo. Jonathan is a writer over at MLB.com, MLBpipeline.com. He's out there in the in the podcast world himself. I mean, just digging into to everything uh, prospects since I believe 1998. So I uh, somewhere around in there, probably probably before then. No. And also, and also now going to be a a published author here in a book that he just wrote, and it's called Smart, Wrong, and Lucky, The Origin Stories of Baseball's Unexpected Stars. Jonathan, how you doing today, brother? I'm great. And t- I mean, I'm old enough. I started MLB.com in 99, uh, so don't make me older than I am. And I, I started focusing on prospects in 2003. Okay. okay. Long now. I mean, it's still 20 years ago, which is crazy. Yeah, I remember listening to you guys have during the podcast talking about how long you guys have been going to like the uh, the fall league and stuff, and and it makes me think I'm like, wow, I'm like, I would love to be doing that for as long as you guys have. Well, I, yeah, that's one way of putting it. You know, Jim started covering prospects, I think, when Joe DiMaggio was coming up. So <laughs> yeah, he was in his Baseball America days. But today we're going to be focusing on uh, the Pirates prospects, and I mean, over the past few years with with Ben Sherrington coming in there's been a, a pretty large focus on the prospects. Prior to that, people probably knew maybe where the affiliates were located, didn't know too much about the teams, too much about the players. But that's become a different story over these past few years. And when Ben Sherrington came in, you guys, uh, you and Jim Callis over there, had them ranked as the 15 best uh, farm system in Major League Baseball. Right now, they're about eighth. They've touched as high as fourth. And my thing is, is that, you know, you got three top 10 picks in a row, a number one overall pick. I kind of would expected them to jump into that top five and then maybe stay there. So like, why, what's holding them back as to, you know, being able to hang on to one of those top five spots, like the Dodgers or the Rays? You know, I, without sort of dumping on our own process, but like farm system rankings, ranking of prospects is such a subjective thing anyway, but farm system rankings, you really get to splitting hairs. Uh, And I think, you know, there are systems that are maybe a cut above and they are always in that top three. You mentioned the Dodgers and the Rays and uh, you know, but the difference between four and eight, there's not, there's not a huge amount. So, some of it is just like when we go through it and we line them up and, you know, we'll run it by some people and, and things like that. I think if I were to try to put my finger on one thing, it's that they have not developed as of yet that guy who's the, like the impact elite level player, right? Their, their system is very, is very deep. You know, I do the top 30. And it's always a good sign that when you, you know, you, you get to 30 and you have like a few guys that you're like, well, are they on, are they off? And those are still interesting guys. Um, that's a sign of a good farm system. I think if you can add to that depth and have 
guys that profile as elite level players and then eventually you have to perform as elite level players then you know that's what kind of bumps you up and i think you know what's happened with the pirates is they're doing it the right way and they're starting to get that pool of players at the upper levels who can come up and 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 help but none of none of them look right now as that sort of all-star caliber guy listen even Brian hayes in the big leagues who is a tremendous player hasn't you know hasn't performed quite up to what we thought now that doesn't impact what their farm system looks like now but when you have these guys get to the upper levels and you know nick gonzalez is struggling with strikeout rate and leo Pagrero, you know goes back to double a even though he's super young I and mean, people were very excited about him you know, it, it, I think that's probably that one little missing ingredient that keeps him from going from seven, eight or wherever up into that, you know, top two or three. Yeah. And when Ben Charrington came in, I mean, he talked about, you know, giving, you know, just a, a depth full of prospects to have, you know, players to choose from at each position as, as opposed to having, you know, those, those impact level guys, but then also, you know, at the same point in time, he's gone with a lot of, of high ceiling prospects. The one that you mentioned there, Aliva Pagaro. So that's where my thing is, is that is is this like the way that some other teams build that they kind of spread that that pool out um, yeah. as opposed to just uh, having that, you know, hey, we've got two guys in the top 10 of, of prospects overall, but then we don't have maybe anybody else in the top 100 um, as opposed to where the pirates are kind of like, we have a, a bunch of guys that are, you know, kind of towards the, you know, 50 to, you know, 99, hundred range and people that could get on there. But then we don't have that. I mean, we had an O'Neill Cruz, but other than that, we don't have a guy that's just like, man, this guy's a wonder Franco. <laughs> you know, this guy's right. a Mike Trout, right. something like that. So I think, it's a both and right. The best systems have to do both of those things, you know, and you look at what the Rays, you mentioned Wanda Franco and they just keep coming, right? The Dodgers, they just keep coming. Um, <clears throat> you look at the Baltimore Orioles right now. And I think what the Orioles have been able to do is what the pirates are hoping to do. Uh, and you don't copy anyone. You have, obviously you have your own ways of evaluating and developing, but you, you know, the, the Orioles went from number one, in the rankings to number one in the rankings, even after Adley Rushman graduated. That's because they still had Gunnar Henderson and Grayson Rodriguez. And, and they keep adding these guys who keep getting better as they, you know, so they turn into more elite level players. Gunnar Henderson was not a number one prospect right out of the gate. You know, it, it took him a little bit. I mean, which is crazy to say since he's so young and he's in the big leagues now, but you know, that's what I mean, the difference. So I, I think that what, what Ben Sherrington and that front office has been able to do. And listen, you know, Neil Huntington did the same thing, right? They built up the farm system. They had to start, they had nothing, you know, and you know, the, the window in Pittsburgh closes quickly. Um, you know, so hopefully they can find a way to sort of keep going. And that's where the depth comes in and you keep adding players and you so where, you know, like the Rays are geniuses at making these trades if I'm another team and the Rays call and they ask about a guy playing in like the Florida complex league, I hang up the phone because that guy ends up turning into like some great player. Um, they're, they're really, really good at that. Uh, 
but I think, you know, like Paguero, who I still think actually has a chance to be a, a very good big leaguer, you know, that was, that was a trade, you know, and I think that, so they were trying to, um, you know, not necessarily like under Neil Huntington, when the team was winning, they made it trades with an eye towards the future, but they were all trying to get upper level guys or guys who were ready to help in the big leagues. Now, while I think when you're going to a full on rebuild, you just, you're trying to get talent everywhere up and down the system. And, you know, there is some freedom in that when you know, you're starting over again. Um, It'll be interesting to see if they, you know, continue to win at the big league level and they start to compete, even if it's not this year, it's next year, what they can do to use that depth to bring in big league pieces while not ruining the, the, the huge building effort that they've had. Yeah. And, and like you said, no, nobody can build, you know, the same way. Uh, we always look towards, you know, the Rays. Uh, we have a, a, a sister podcast that does the White Sox. So we look at them a lot. And I mean, they had, Aloy Jimenez, Yuan Moncada, they had Dylan Cease, Michael Kopech, they had all this. And if Luis Robert, if, if, you know, two of these guys don't work out, then you look at their system now and it's like, it's barren. When some of those guys were trade, you know, acquired via, via trades and were like big league ready, Yuan Moncada came in basically was in the, you know, when they, they got him from the Red Sox, it, you can't even really give them credit for developing him. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, they do. I mean, Eloy Jimenez, and, and Dylan Cease were both, were both trade acquisitions. So, um, and you know, the pirates did some of that too. You know, the, the problem being of course, is that when they went to, you know, kind of clean out the cupboards, the big league pieces to bring in the Eloy Jimenez type prospects, they weren't there, you know, and you know, I, I live in Pittsburgh and so I see all the local reaction to things and, you know, there were, were as is often the case with fan bases unrealistic expectations as to what the return might be for any player that they traded away um you, you know but i think that uh you, you know they've done as as good a job as they can given the 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 big league pieces they had to trade away to bring in prospects you know so that they've had to do it mostly through the draft and through international signings and those, that can take a little bit longer. Yeah, because you, you're getting a bunch of younger guys. And Leo Pereira is the type of guy that has, I guess it's like that attachment that he was, you know, Ben Sherrington's first big trade. Mm-hmm. So he obviously has a little bit more pressure there. But the one thing I, I, when we were talking about depth and things that can happen, I was looking through, you know, the top 30 that you guys do over there at, at the MLB Pipeline. And I just was just like, okay, I'm like, okay, this guy was injured. Tamar Johnson started this year. He's our number one prospect. They started the season with a hamstring injury. Andy Rodriguez is only DHing right now um, due to a forearm strain. You go up to, you know, the number three, Henry Davis was missed a lot of last year with a broken wrist. Nick Gonzalez, 2021 finger, 2022 Achilles, yep. 2023 <laughs> shoulder, Mike Burrows, number nine, Tommy John. Jared Jones is on the shelf right now. Lonnie White Jr., number 13, really hasn't been able to get going. Number 14, Hunter Barco. I'm just seeing him you know, pitch off of a mound for the first time because he's recovering from Tommy John. Right. Jared At least he Triolo. was hurt when they got him. Yeah. Jared Triolo, Hammy uh, had surgery. Could be actually playing right now with, with uh, O'Neal Cruz out. That was like one of the people that I thought they added to the 40-man for that. Dario Lopez, number 18, knee 
out for the entire season. Have you seen like a top 30 that just has this much injury at, like at this point in time? Yeah, it sounds like a lot. I mean, I haven't done that, that kind of cross analysis, um, <laughs> but that uh, that's a lot, you know, and that's the, you know, that is the, some of it has not, is random, you know, you know, some of it, I don't know if you, question development techniques you know i i wouldn't do that just because i mean like henry davis's injuries had nothing to do with how like they were getting him prepared they just you know he, he just refused to back off the plate and kept getting hit you know <laughs> hopefully that's behind him you know sometimes it happens when they're younger and they kind of figure out their way like so tamar johnson if it were september in the big leagues and they're competing I think he plays, he plays with that injury, but when he's a teenager who they just drafted and signed, there is zero reason to send him out until he's 100% ready to go. And so I don't worry about that one. Now, if he starts having recurring hamstring issues, then you start to, to worry, uh, you know, about what he's doing in terms of his, you know, flexibility, muscle preparation, all that kind of stuff. But for, for the right now, like, let's let him go out and play. Um, you know, the, the Mike Burrows, you know, Tommy John surgery, that you see everywhere. Like, there's, you know, you can't, I don't know that you can go into a, any system uh, and not have at least one prospect who, you know, needs Tommy John, just had it or ha has had it, you know, in, in the past. So, like, that's, that's why pitching, you know, there are a lot of people, a lot of smarter people than me in baseball who say there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. <laughs> I, that's, that's what people say. I mean, because you don't know what's going to happen. Yep. Too much risk. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on there. And, and you were talking about, you know, when you make your top 30 list and there's guys that, you know, maybe, you know, when, once you get to like, maybe like 25 or say 28, it could be okay between 28 and 35 or so. I've, I've heard that from a bunch of places that, now, those guys are fairly similar. So, you know, Braxton Ashcraft just, just added there because of uh, a graduation. Mm -hmm. So my question to you would be, is there like a couple guys that you're kind of keeping your eye on that maybe in that like 31 to 35 range that could be like the next guy to jump up onto the top 30 list? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out my handy dandy list. I do have a couple of names. I mean, and there's like, there are different, differing levels of sort of value, right? There's the Colin Selby's of the world who, you know, that he has a chance to be the kind of guy and the Pirates, I think, have done this about as well as most major league organizations in terms of cobbling together bullpens, you know, on the cheap. Um, I'm trying to find... The, you know, the other names. Ashcraft is an interesting one because he was a prospect and obviously got hurt. He just uh, came back. Um, and Manuel Torero is an interesting guy. Um, you know, it was just a complex league, so you want to sort of see, but he has really good at-bats, makes a lot of loud contact, um, started a little bit slow, but now he's, you know, now he's doing real well. Uh, Trace Gonzalez uh just you jumped know, up to Greensboro. Yeah, well, the funny thing is when I talked to someone with the Pirates, he was still in Bradenton, but he's like, but he's probably going to move up soon. <laughs> um, so, you know, those are a couple of guys. I, I'd have to go searching for another spreadsheet 
Um, but those I'm, I'm, I tend to be in constant contact with folks about who could be next. Cause that changes, right? Like I, I might have a 31 to 33 set for graduations or trades or whatever, uh, before the season starts. And it's a totally different three names by, you know, May 5th, uh, you know, because guys get hurt or guys are performing or, you know, through spring training, it's, you know, there's not been that much minor league data, but their player development staff has seen them all through spring training and through now this first month of the, of the minor league season. So uh, that's an ever evolving list. And I tend to not just go from whatever I have in my stash, I'll go back and be like, Hey, this is still a good guy to add. And they'll often, you know, give me another option. And that's, that's why I end up picking Ashcraft. Cause I just think, I mean, if, if he really has put the, uh, you know, the injuries behind him and they were many, you know, so I don't know, uh, I'd be tempted to kind of put him in a bullpen and move, try to get him moving in a hurry. He's still not that old, but there's a lot of upside there and it's a big arm, right? So uh, that's why I thought he was intriguing enough, even though he's, you know, not some like 18 year old wonderkind who's, you know, just coming to the, you know, the complex league for the first time. I like those upside plays when you're adding guys on at the end, but Ashcraft is, is was intriguing enough that I thought he deserved the the addition there. Yeah, and Ashcraft was a guy that was was a pretty well thought of prospect before the injury started happening. So yep. I wasn't really surprised to see him up there. He's been performing pretty well this year. But Jonathan, we've got the easy questions out of the way. I've got the two probably the, the questions that, that most Pirates fans are probably asking of any, you know, prospect expert, any but it's watching the prospects right now. We've got, we've got Andy Rodriguez hurt. Hasn't been able to catch for the past couple weeks. Henry Davis, absolutely on fire on a tear down in double A. And the big discussion is, does, does Henry possibly surplant Andy as the first catcher up? Or is this just early season fodder, you know, as far as discussions go. Both. You know, I mean, listen, because I, I, I think if what's going on with with Andy Rodriguez's forearm really keeps him from catching for a prolonged period of time, then yeah, I think Henry Davis could catch in the big leagues before Andy Rodriguez. Now, does that mean he beats Andy Rodriguez to the big leagues? I don't know. Andy could hit his way. Like you know, the fact is that. I don't think you call him up if he's only DHing, because you know, you know, those of us who who watch the Pirates regularly, they have a you know pretty good system that they've set up where where Kutch is handling a lot of the DH at bats, and you're not gonna you're not gonna bring Andy Rodriguez up to not play every day. Now, if the forearm is is good enough for him to play the outfield or second base. You know, I might put a first baseman's glove on his hand and let him try that for a little while, assuming he's can throw at all. Right. Like, I, I don't really know. You know, I, I don't know if anybody does. Right. First, it was, it was all very vague. And I don't think they, you know, the last time I talked to anybody, they didn't even really know what the issue was. And it, it, it it's not Tommy John because he wouldn't be DHing. Right. Um, you know, even though you can can swing a bat, but. So 
you, you have to make sure that he can do anything with that arm, right? It's not like at first base, you don't ever have to throw. Uh, and you can't just, you know, I lived in New York when the Mets tried to have Mike Piazza play first base. And if anyone ever needs proof that you just can't have anyone play first base, that was a disaster. <laughs> um, it just didn't work. It's, you know, it's not just like, oh, anyone can play there. So now, Andy Rodriguez has good hands. He's athletic. Like I'm, I actually think he could play first base. And so I think it's the kind of thing where, all right, well, his arm is okay, but just not okay for catching. Then maybe that's a spot where I would put him um, in, you know, and then maybe you can get him to, to the big leagues and you start mixing him in, you know, Carlos Santana gets a day off or he plays, he DHs some like you know, they'll have to mix and match a little bit more. And if Andy can do everything but catch, because people don't realize like that, it, that's a lot of throws, right? Even back to the pitcher, that that's where there's wear and tear. Then you could move him around some, you know, uh, or let him play second base every day. Like, you know, they have all these different sort of interesting guys that they can move around the diamond. So uh, that's a long answer to your original question, uh, you know, but I think that, it's possible that Endy, if he gets going, could hit his way up and not catch. Um, and then we'll have to sort of see, you know, what Henry Davis is catching looks like. Um, I think pretty soon they're going to have to move him up to AAA uh, if they want him to have like another stop before they, they call him up. Um, you know, let him get some at-bats against, you know, guys with some big league experience who pitch backwards, things like that. Uh, and get them some more reps behind the plate. You know, they split them up in a lot of ways because they wanted both to get reps catching. If Andy Rodriguez isn't catching, you might as well bring Henry Davis to AAA and let him catch there. And I guess that's that's a great answer, though. Just It's also it's going to depend on, you know, if Andy's coming back and if he's going to be able to catch. Because at that point in time, then, you know, like you said, the reason why Ben Sherrington split them up was to get them both reps behind the plate. And it was fairly telling uh, coming into spring training that uh, Henry Davis brought one glove and that was his catcher's mitt. And Andy Rodriguez brought like five different gloves, including a first baseman's mitt, everything. You know, he, he brought like anything. He, he just kept on pulling out gloves, you know, out of his bag. So that that's very telling of, you know, he he would probably love to catch, He'll pr- but he also probably just, whatever you need me to do to get to the major leagues, I will do. Right. And, you know, so I think, and with Henry Davis, he is very keen on proving to people who, that he can catch, you know, and he's heard from enough people that he, he can't. And, uh, you know, there will come a time where either the pirates will say it's not working or it's not worth the extra time it's going to take for you, for you to do it at the big league level. Cause we want that bat in the big, in, in the big league lineup. You know, we, we tried to ask him about it uh, last beginning of the fall league about the experiment in right field. And uh, he, he was not thrilled with the question. Let's just leave it at that. So <laughs> yeah. um, it was like, what, what do you think of that experiment? He was like, it was fine. You know, so, I think, but at the same time, I've chatted with him. He loves Andy Rodriguez, and he understands that if they're both in the big leagues, there might be some moving around a little bit. And, you know, he still would like to think of himself as the primary catcher, but he understood that maybe he'd DH, maybe he'd play, you know, eventually first base or something like that some of the time, you know? So it's not like it's, no, you know, if I don't catch, forget it. I'm, you know, packing up my 
my stuff yeah, and going home. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and he definitely. I mean, the things that the highlights that I've seen in the games that I've watched him, mean, it's it's always been his arm. I mean, he he's oh. got to knock guys because his arm is just absolutely insane. Yes. yes, and that's why you don't give up on it, right? Like that arm at first base would almost be like a a crime. Um, you know, it's like when people talk about putting O'Neill Cruz at first base. I'm like, what? No. <laughs> yeah, at least, and that's probably why the Pirates are like, we, we know we we would try, you know, Henry out in right field because that's at least another place where his arm would. Well, be and used. and he's a, you're right, and he's a good athlete. I, people don't realize because he's he's big, strong. He sort of looks, you know, like a big catcher, and he runs well. And like it would work out there. It's not that he couldn't do it. it. It's more that he wants to do the other thing. Yeah, and here's the the last hard question here, and, and we talked about this, and we mentioned this a little bit before we jumped on here. And, he gave me a little bit of a, a, a surprise answer somewhat, but right now it's Cruz and it's Skeens and there's an argument on Pirates Twitter about which one it should be. Uh, you guys are putting out a bunch of mock drafts and I kind of made a comment like, okay, it's between these two. And, and you kind of just looked at me a little bit strangely. So uh, what do you know that I don't know, Jonathan? I don't have any inside information. And we, we've, we've had just the one like real mock first round mock and Jim uh, my colleague Jim Callis did that and we'll do them every other week for the next few you know because the draft you know isn't until July we have plenty of time people love them but like there's a limit to how many you can do especially this far out but you know yes I, I think those are the two best choices and it may come down to sort of what flavor the pirates want um Right now, and I'm not basing this on any real inside information, I, I just, I, I, I lean back. For the same reason we were talking about, things can go wrong with pitchers. As good as Paul Skeens is, and he is very, very, very good. I, I, and maybe it's just like, I think if, I, if I'm the one that's signing the check, I think I probably take Dylan Cruz. Now, those are the two guys. that You're right there. But there are other options. You know, if they're held hostage and I'm not suggesting that either Dylan Cruz or, or Paul Skeens will, will, will do this um, because money for that slot, it's a lot, right? And even if they don't sign for full, full slot, there's, you know, going to come close to setting records and things like that. And I would warn against the pirates trying to outsmart themselves. This is to me, this is not a year to cut a deal. Um, but, there's Wyatt Langford in Florida, who now has two years. He got hurt this year, came back in a hurry, still is hitting. He's hitting like – in any other year, people would be talking about Wyatt Langford's offensive year. He's hitting like 430 at Florida. It's just that Dylan Cruz is hitting 490 or whatever he's hitting and, you know, has a better chance to play center field. I have had different scouts say different – I, I had a national cross-checker who told me that if he had the number one pick, he would take Walker Jenkins, the outfielder from North Carolina, the high school outfielder, who has been probably the talk of the spring season in terms of, I mean, listen, he, we had him in our top six or so in December, but he didn't have a very good summer. He was kind of dinged up, and they, he didn't really get a show. And he showed up this spring in North Carolina, uh, swinging the bat the way everyone knew he could. Ridiculous power, left-handed hitter. Um, that's the difference between him and Wyatt Langford. You know, uh, Langford has the college resume that, that helps him. Um, he's running better. He's playing center field. So now it's like, huh, 
this guy's got a ridiculous offensive profile, and now maybe he's got a chance to play center field. Could he be better than Dylan Cruz when all is said and done? Maybe. And then there's Max Clark, uh, who is from Indiana. Uh, and when you talk to scouts and you ask, you know, when you ask him who from this draft class do you think, if everything clicks, and understanding high schoolers, there's a little bit of risk. If everything clicks, who has the best chance of being a like generational superstar? And they pick Max Clark because he, he is a legitimate five-tool guy who will play center field for a very, very, very long time. And he does everything exceptionally well, but he's a high schooler, right? So, you know, and doesn't have the track record that Dylan Cruz does. So, yes, you're right. It, it is largely those two guys. But I think the Pirates are, are, you know, as they have shown that they're going to do, you know, they did it in 21. They even did it last year when they were, you know, were picking four. They're going to wait to the last minute. They're going to go see all of those guys um, many, many times over. They're going to have different conversations, you know, in, in terms of, well, what's it going to take to sign you? I don't know if that will come into play this year. You know, I still think they should just take the, the best guy. And then it may come to, and if they do that, then it will come down to, do you want the hitter or do you want the pitcher? Yeah, it's definitely going to be a tough decision. Like you said, there's a lot of time uh, to, you know, just see what they do and see what they say. And I mean, Charrington had said, you know, when he was approached with the subject, he's like, we're looking at a bunch of guys because they definitely are. So, but anybody, if you need any, you know, insight on the minor leagues, the pirates, the draft, anything like that, please go follow Jonathan Mayo. Please go listen to guys over at uh, MLBpipeline.com. Once again, go out there and get Jonathan's book, Smart, Wrong, and Lucky, The Origin Stories of Baseball's Unexpected Stars. Jonathan, look at that. He's, he's got it right there, everybody. I, have, I, got, I just got it. I just got it. <laughs> now, it's not available until July, but this okay, is what it so looks do, like. Do, do a pre-order. Do a pre-order, everybody. And for everybody else, just stick around because we're going to do some beer reviews. A All right, guys, this is one that people have been asking me to review. I've been doing a lot of the local, you know, micro brews from around Pittsburgh, Allegheny City Brewing, Arbduration Brewing. I did uh, four points. There's just been a lot of different places. Um, everybody's saying when they go down to the Pirate game, and I'll be going down there tonight to watch them take on the Blue Jays, um, they stopped into Southern Tier. And you know what? There's nothing against Southern Tier. love Southern Tier. Southern Tier is like the ones that brought me into probably craft beer drinking, maybe along with like the, the 60 and 90 minute IPAs from Dogfish Head. Those are the ones that got me in there. But they put out a new pack and it had the two old ones in there, uh, the Southern Tier IPA and the Double IPA, the Imperial IPA. I've had those a bunch of times. Everybody knows the system we work with here. We're working with the Wabova, the weighted based on batting average system. So the IPAs, given Southern Tier IPA, that's a 4.25 weighted down to a 375. The two times, that goes from a 375 down to a 325. 
that's one of those heavier ones. If I'm having one of those, it's probably me just having one of those, not having two. But they came out here. The New Haze was their New England IPA. I think I had it for the first time back in around 2019. And I, it was right when those New Englands were coming out. This comes in at 6%. I could drink this one like all day. It's I, I'm giving it a 450 weighted down to a 400. And then now they come out with this juice jolt. And I don't know if people like, you know, fruity type beers. For me, I like a little bit of like the citrusy notes. That's right. Why I like the New England ones, the New Haze. Um, but um, with the the uh, with the juice jolt, it, it seems to be that there's just a little bit too much juice in that for me. And also, it's about a six point eight, which was very surprising. Um, Three fifty goes down to a three hundred. And the one I've been drinking today is a new one. Never had this before. It's called the Hop Tomic Rush, the Tropical IPA coming in at 6.5. Give it a 375, weighted down to a 325. So that's Southern Tier. It's right there on the North Shore. Uh, maybe me and Gary Morgan will stop by there today on the way down to the game and have one. Uh, for you that don't, uh, welcome. You know, Thank you to our guest again, Jonathan Mayo. Also, I don't know if anybody can see right here. I'm going to stand up for a second. We got the Bucks in the basement shirts from our boys over at Yins. Let's get the Y out, everybody that can see it over there. Um, go there, shop Yins. Uh, three brands, uh, th one dining. Uh, <laughs> sorry there, Taylor. This is one brand for three dynasties. I kind of screw that up sometimes, but all their stuff's good. They got the uh, Jagoff series. So go out there, support them, support all minor league teams, uh, watch all the minor league games. Let's go Indians. Let's go Curve. Let's go Hoppers. Let's go Marauders. And I will be out there on Mother's Day. Uh, so after the next recording out in Altoona with my family and my mom to celebrate Mother's Day. Uh, and also happy Cinco de Mayo, everybody. Uh, we'll catch you next time.